we've been privileged to be working with Jamie for, you know, almost 20 years now. And a lot of times we bump around, we'll work with his partner for four or five years, another partner, but we have loved sticking with Jamie. One, Jamie's doing some really good work in one of the toughest places in America to do work. When uh, you hear about things in Chicago happening, a lot of times it happens very near to where Jamie's church is. Uh, so it is a tough neighborhood, but he's doing some remarkable work there. The church is doing some remarkable work there. And honestly, we get more out of hanging around with him uh, than we ever give to Reborn. So um, that's one of the reasons we have stayed with him for uh, almost uh, 20 years. Uh, it is hot, folks. Y'all haven't noticed that. It is hot. But it's all a matter of perspective, isn't it? I was taking the garbage can out the other day, put it at the end of the driveway, and met my neighbor bringing his garbage out. And I said, friend, is it hard enough for you? He said, I'm from Buffalo. You'll never hear me complain. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I guess he just gets up every morning and goes, listen, it is so hot. I'm so blessed. And We work real hard on coming up with icebreakers. Uh, those uh, conversational gimmicks uh, to get a conversation started. So you walk into a room where you don't know anybody. Uh, maybe it's an office, a new office uh, party or our neighborhood get together. You may know one or two people, but you don't know a whole lot of people. So you have to practice on how to begin the conversation. You know, what kind of corny joke can you come up with? What remark can you make about the weather? You have to do something so that everybody just doesn't stand around in silence, shifting their weight uncomfortably from one foot to the other. In evangelism, we had to work hard on those icebreakers as well. And we went to all kinds of training uh, to help people in their conversation so they'd ask the right question at the right time so somebody would say something that would open up the door for some kind of evangelistic word uh, and like you i've been to more evangelism conferences and training centers and moments that i can ever count and uh, we were given a series okay here's the question here's your answer here's a question here's your answer i could just never get people to ask the question in the right order I had it all memorized, but then they would ask like question number three, way too early. And I would have to say, no, 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 that's question number three. We gotta go back and answer questions one and two or I won't be able to remember the answer to number three if you don't go one and two first. You know what the icebreaker was in the early church? The church. The lives of the believers, so unique, so different, so warm and loving, that the conversations for neighbors just happened. We live in a very different time than the early church. We live in a time where people almost universally love and respect Jesus but can't stand the church. Have you seen the bumper sticker that said, Dear Jesus, save me from your followers? <laughs> what is it about a church that doesn't speak that well of her Lord? 
What is it about a church that doesn't start conversation but shuts them down? What is it about a church whose life is so impactful that a conversation about Jesus is the next thing that happens? We read about it in the sixth chapter of Acts. Stand with me in honor of God's word. Verse eight, chapter six. Now Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from some members of the Freedmen Synagogue, were composed of Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some from Cilicia and Asia. And they began to argue with Stephen. But they were unable to stand up against his wisdom and the spirit by whom he was speaking. Some began to argue with Stephen, but then were unable to stand against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he was speaking. This is God's word for God's people. Hear it, believe it, and live. Let's pray together. Whatever small thing you need for us to do, whatever big thing you need for us to do, whatever door we need to open, whatever path we need to walk, whatever place we need to stand to show us. And we'll do anything you ask us just so we can have the chance to tell people how good you are. And we pray this in your name. Amen. The early church was growing and growing and growing. You remember the story from a group of about 100, 120 or so that met in the upper room and began praying and the Spirit of God fell on the early church and we have Pentecost and we have thousands of people who joined the church who became Christians on that one day. Can you imagine the stress that happened in the early church when thousands of people began to proclaim Christ as their Savior. How in the world do you disciple that many people? How long would it take you to baptize that many people? How do you care for that many people? And as you would guess, there arose a controversy in the early church. And the controversy was there was a group of people who wasn't being cared for. A group of Hellenist widows and orphans didn't receive the daily allocation of bread that the other widows and orphans got. Now, understand, in this time in the Roman government, there was no social safety net. If you were in need, if your family did not take care of you, then you were on your own. If you were a widow and you did not have family to take care of you, you were just sunk. And so you have stories of, of widows who had to sell themselves into slavery, orphans who had to sell themselves into slavery because they had no one to take care of them. Which explains why we may have had the Hellenists who were complaining. The Jewish widows and orphans probably had family connections in the early church. And those people took care of their widows and orphans. The Hellenists would have been people who either compromised a little bit on the Jewish faith 
or weren't Jews at all, were more of uh, Romans, more pagan, who had come to join the church and would not have had those family relations. That didn't happen naturally. So when it came time to take care of them, they were left out. So this is brought to the disciples' attention and they pray. In the first seven chapters, they come back and say, listen, we have prayed about this. It's not right for us to give up preaching and prayer for the waiting of tables. We're going to find seven men who will do this, and we're going to focus on preaching and prayer. From the early on, from the early, early stages of the church, there was a division of gifts uh, there were people who had gifts, and that's what you did. That's the best way you served the church, was being fulfilled and engaged in your giftedness. We don't have any, any stories where everybody, where one person tried to do everything. That doesn't work. Everybody has a gift. Everybody should be using that gift. That's the way the church works best. Now we have seven men who are nominated. Now notice how quickly that nomination happens. There's no great controversy. There's no arguing. There's no this guy, that guy. Bam, the church knows who it is. The church always recognizes its leaders. The church pays attention to those who walk the walk as opposed to those who talk the talk. The church has gatekeepers, men and women that the church has said, we will trust the, the vision and the wisdom of this person. We will trust the insight and giftedness of this person. And these seven guys were quickly nominated and placed into service. Now, look at what's interesting. We don't have one story of Stephen serving one widow. You would think the next stories would be, and man, Stephen and the other deacons took care of the widows, and boy, that, a lot of this thing happened, and you should meet some of these widows. Nothing. In fact, we immediately jump from that story to a story about Stephen being filled with power, doing mighty works, and then preaching. In fact, we have two deacon stories, one of Stephen, one of Philip, both of these are about deacons preaching. Now, from that, it's easy to kind of come to the conclusion that, well, taking care of the Helena's widows wasn't important. What is really important was preaching the gospel. Okay, hold on. One, notice how Stephen is introduced in the story. In the story, he's introduced as Stephen being full of the Spirit. He's the only one in the New Testament who's introduced that way. Do you know that? Everybody else is filled. What does that mean? Stephen didn't leak. Everybody else leaks. They had to be filled for the moment, and then they did what Christ asked them to do. The next time Christ asked them to do something, they had to be filled again. Stephen stayed full. He was humble and served where he was asked to serve. That same humility allowed him to be used when it was time for him to preach. Couldn't argue with, with Stephen or the spirit that filled him. 
Okay? Now, because Stephen was faithful in taking care of the widows, what else do we not have in this story? We do not have another complaint about the needs of the widows and orphans. We don't have another story that tells us and the Hellenist widows weren't taken care of or the Hellenist widows were still hungry or the Hellenist widows were still complaining. We assume from that 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 need was met. That that, that detail, that ministry was taken care of. Uh, you know, it wasn't unusual for someone to show up at the early church and say, I have been thrown out of my family because I follow Christ. I've decided to follow Christ. My family has disowned me. I don't have a mother. I don't have a father. I don't have brothers and sisters. And because of that, I don't have a job. I don't have a home. The pastor would then say, oh, yes, you do. He would point to a family in the church and say, here is your son. And he would point to the son and say, here is your mother and father, your brothers and sisters. You will live with them and they will take care. That's the way it happened. In fact, did you know it was the ethic of the early church that was so interesting to the Roman Empire? Things like the early church would not discard its babies. If you were a Roman family and you had another girl and you already had too many girls, you may discard that last daughter. Now, what do we mean by that? I mean left out in the brutal wilderness to die. If that child had a special needs, that child would be abandoned. The early church wouldn't do that. In fact, the early church, if they found out that a child had been abandoned, they would go get that baby. And they would raise that baby as their own. The early church took care of their sick. They took care of the sick in the community. Do you know the word hospital comes from the ministry of the church? From our ministry to those who were suffering from the plague during the Middle Ages. That's where you get the word hospital from. When the world was leaving everybody else to die... We would show up, we would pray, we would offer comfort, and we would offer treatment. That was fascinating to the Roman Empire. That platform, because Stephen was so good in taking care of the Hellenist widows and orphans, he was then given the platform to preach. It's called the Mother Teresa Rule. Do you know the Mother Teresa Rule? Go where nobody else wants to go. Do what nobody else wants to do. If you do that, nobody will say anything to you. Okay? Okay, you remember Mother Teresa? Mother Teresa shows up in India. She's a Catholic nun. She shows up in India. She takes care of the dying lepers. Because nobody wanted to do that, nobody said anything to her. Because no one wanted to do that, no one stopped her from doing it. Until the point that everybody in the world knew about this Catholic nun who had showed up in India to take care of dying lepers. Because of that, she was given a platform throughout the world. Mother Teresa could go anywhere 
and she could say anything. Do you remember in the middle of the Lebanese war, there was an orphanage that got caught in the crossfire? Do y'all remember the story? And Mother Teresa went in there and rescued the orphans and those workers. Do you remember that story? There's bombs going off. There's small arms fire clacking in the background. And there's this little tiny Catholic nun banging on the door going, come on, come on, y'all come on, pointing them out of here. She goes, nobody's going to shoot Mother Teresa. Well, why don't you shoot her? No, 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 man, we're going to ask Mother Teresa. We're not shooting her. Go Go where nobody wants to go. Do what nobody wants to do. And nobody will stop you. Do you remember when she was in a guest at a Washington dinner and she pointed her finger at Bill Clinton? Do y'all remember that? He's president at the time. She points at him and says, you have to stop abortion. I mean, pointed that little finger right in his face. What did he do? Absolutely nothing. Why? Well, that's Mother Teresa. She can talk to the president like that. Nobody else can. She can. Go where nobody wants to go. Do what nobody else wants to do. You know right now of a dozen things you could do. You won't do them because you don't think they're that big a deal. You're waiting for God to call you to some wonderful, magnificent, incredible thing. You won't do this. You won't do the little thing. But remember in Matthew 25, do you remember how Jesus judged those who were condemned, you remember? It was because they didn't understand the book of Revelation, right? It was because they couldn't explain the creation, right? They had some kind of bad theology, right? No. What did Jesus say? I was hungry and you didn't give me anything to eat. I was thirsty and you didn't give me anything to drink. I was naked, and you didn't give me any clothes. I was sick, I was in prison, and you never came to see me. When did we not do this? Little things. Do you remember the story of the talents? Okay, master goes on a trip to one servant, he gives five talents. Another servant gives two, another gives one. The one with five goes and makes five more, comes back with ten. The one who had two makes two more, comes back with four. And the one who had the one buries it and is condemned for his lack of effort. Now, if you follow the logic of that story, the previous time, the last time the master went away, the one who had five had two. He was faithful with two, so this time when the master goes away, he's given five. The one who had two this time had one last time because he was faithful with one. This time he's given two. The one who gets one, that's his first shot. He's not going to get any the next time the master goes away. You see that? You're trusted with small things. If you're faithful in small things, then you are trusted with more things. The reward for good work is more work. Okay? You have been faithful here. Now I'm going to trust you here. You've been faithful here. Now I will trust you here. Most of us never get here because we're not faithful here. We don't think it's that big a deal. So you don't think it matters and you don't do it because you don't do it, 
you're never given the opportunity to do more. Things like, you know a friend right now who's having some kind of hard time. Do you know in our digital age, do you know what one of the most impactful things you can do? Send a handwritten note. Send a handwritten note, that's it. Dear friend, just wanted you to know I'm praying for you today. Mike. That's it. Phone call. Actual call, not a text. Call. Just wanted you to know you're at the top of my prayer list today. Hang in there. Every one of you knows somebody who's having some kind of hard time, some kind of challenge, some kind of moment. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to do that little thing that Jesus is calling you to do this week. Okay? Now, I know you're going, well, it's just a little bit. Do it. And when you do it, I want to hear about it. I want you to text GO to 623-623, and I want you to tell me about it. Text GO to 623-623. You know of a friend that's struggling with a job transition. You know of a friend that's struggling with their family. You know of a friend that's struggling with some kind of illness. Uh, you know of a, a friend that is lonely. You know of a friend that's dealing with depression. You know of a friend. You know of a friend. I want you to do that little thing that right now Jesus is telling you to do. I was thirsty. You gave me water. I was hungry. You gave me something to eat. I was naked and you gave me some clothes. I was sick and in prison. You came to see me. That little thing opens up the door to all the big things that happen. But right now, you got to do this little thing first. So, I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. I'll give you permission to open your eyes if you're writing down somebody's name. If you're making a note to yourself that says, yes, I know what I'm supposed to do and here's what I'm going to do. Then, text GO to 623-623 and tell me about it. Don't worry that it is too small. You don't start in the major leagues of faith. You start in the minor leagues. And you learn doing the small things how to trust God with the big things. Do that first. 
Perhaps you want to talk with somebody about a relationship with Jesus. You want to know what all that means. We'd love to have that conversation. We'll be waiting out at the Welcome Center. Just head out of Hudson Hall, turn your right, you'll see us standing there up against the wall. We'd love to have this conversation. Tell you more about Brentwood Baptist Church. We'd love to have that moment. However the Lord has come to you, he's waiting for you right where you are. The Lord will wait for you as you come. Lord Jesus, every life is now open, every heart. So we pray now the choices we make are exactly what you want.